Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is trombonist David Gibson. Here's music from his new album, A Little Something. is trombonist David Gibson. He's got a new record out on the Positone record label called A Little Something. And uh, David, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Man, it's great to talk with you, Jason. Now, I was very surprised when I uh, checked out this record to discover that it has no references whatsoever to the glorious Boston Red Sox. And I wanted to ask uh, just straight off the top why that is. Well, um... Wow, I, you know, I feel like I'm a little handcuffed here because there's. Uh, I think that there's a word that I can't use right now, <laughs> but it has something to do with some bombers in the Bronx, and uh, yeah, that would be the main reason. And if you really want to dig into it, I'll tell you, it's an interesting story. I've been a Yanks fan since I was a kid, and that might sound like a silly thing for somebody who grew up in Oklahoma, but but I was born in Alabama, and my dad went to school in Alabama and played college baseball at Spring Hill University on scholarship. And uh, one of his close friends from, um, I believe it was from high school, uh, was, a, was a guy by the name of Jim Mason. And for two summers when I was growing up, we lived in Baltimore, and Jim Mason played for the Yankees. So anytime the Yankees came to town, we would inevitably end up with some seats behind home plate. And I'll never forget one time him taking me down to the locker room he got me an autographed ball by the 76 team before Reggie got there, and they won the series. But the 76 team, so it had Guidry, it had uh, Nettles, it had Munson. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a special thing for a kid to get at that age. And uh, so anyway, I was a Yankees fan forevermore. And then it was just magic when, when I moved here and was able to go to the stadium the first time, and even more magic the first time I got to take my daughter to the stadium with me. Forget about it. That was ridiculous. So I'm very sorry, but uh, there is no big poppy tune. 
There is no uh, Manny tune. I might consider a Johnny Damon tune. Con- con- uh, it just depends <laughs> on what happens the rest of this season. That's I think all. it would be called Turncoat. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. All right. Well, well maybe, maybe that's an appropriate title. We'll see what happens. Your story is so heartwarming that it, it really it, it stops me from all of the vitriol that I was going to spew in your direction. So I guess we're going to have to talk about the music. Because, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's yeah, talk about the music. Af- Sounds good. After you've just brought up this beautiful story about your dad and your daughter, and now I'm... I'm kind of flat-footed here, so so let's dig into the record. This um, uh, this record, first of all, uh, sounds like, and I believe that's because it is. It sounds like the product of a working band. Is that is that the case? That's absolutely the case, uh, man. This band is. I mean, it it's amazing the way this band came together because uh, it was a complete accident. Um, I was actually called. Uh, by Mike Karn to do a gig. It was supposed to be me and Mike Karn and Jared Gold and Quincy Davis. It was set up. I was so excited to play with these guys. The day of the gig, I get a call from Julius, who tells me, man, Karn called me, and he's got, like, food poisoning or something, so I'm going to be on the gig tonight. I just wanted to let you know, so if you've got any music you want to bring, bring your tunes. Oh, no problem. So later in the day, I get a call from Julius, and he says, listen, man, I'm stuck out here in Jersey, and there's no way I'm going to make it back in time for the hit, so you should get somebody else to play the gig. So all of a sudden, I was a sideman. Now it's my gig. So I start calling. I think the first cat I called was Dwayne Eubanks, uh, and so Dwayne came and played trumpet, and so the club liked the band. We ended up being back in the club as, as my group. Uh, again in the future and I used Dwayne and then all of a sudden Dwayne got kind of busy and I called Julius since he was supposed to be on the original gig I I guess kind of on the original gig but anyway so I called Julius and then we started doing the gig like that and man we've been working together for a couple of years maybe a little bit more now and it's just a great group of guys and we have a, a really good time together and you know it's it's the kind of it's the kind of relationship where i can hand a piece of music to jared and i can you know it's a new tune and i'll say well jared you know so right here you know kind of like think like this and then uh and then when you play this change you know kind of do a voicing like this and and he just looks at me and he goes dave what why are you talking to me i'm just going to play it the way i want to anyway <laughs> and i say oh touche okay well, one, two, three, four, here we go. <laughs> so that's that's this group of guys. I mean, we just have a good time playing together. So uh, just for folks uh, following along at home, uh, we're talking about Julius Tolentino, who plays a saxophone on the record, Jared Gold, who plays the organ, and Quincy Davis, who plays the drums. What is it about a particular collection of individuals that makes them gel into a band? What What is required to make that happen? You know, I was thinking about this a lot the other day as I was talking to another friend of mine who's a band leader, and he was he was describing a situation where he went to see his fellow musicians play in a different circumstance, and then when he got on the bandstand, all of a sudden everybody gelled. And, you know, I think there has to be a common purpose. I think somebody's got got to, uh, you know, weave all of the, the personalities together. I, I, I don't mean in, in a very... Uh, in a real overt way, but but there has to be you know a common purpose, and then we we all have have common influences musically, so that makes it really easy. So when you're talking, you have a lot to talk about, uh, whether that's real life or musical, and uh, and then just I think everybody 
is is signed up for it. it we just all like each other and and everybody's signed up for whatever you know if 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 I get a door gig in Philly and you know we want to drive to Philly and play a door gig and risk it, everybody's like, yeah, it's cool, man. It's a band. Yeah, let's make some music. I imagine for you that it must be a nice feeling knowing that um, when I go into whatever situation this is, uh, there's a predetermined group of people who are going to go there with me. So there may be some question about the venue or you know what the crowd's going to be like, but I know that the people I'm surrounding myself with, I can trust. You said it, and and as you were saying that, I was just I was remembering, you know, because I tend to be, I don't want to say I'm anal, but but I tend to be pretty prepared in terms of the written music. I, I've actually even gotten more specific about about what I ask for on the page, which I think I was always reluctant to do in the past, but but have kind of decided that I'm just going to give a little bit more direction even if someone doesn't follow that direction exactly at least it lets them know where I'm coming from musically you know uh to give them an an idea of what I'm thinking so if they want to run a, a different theme over that idea or a different variation of that idea they can do that but at least it's informed um a lot of rhythm charts end up being slash charts and and they don't give any information uh, Tell people so, what a slash chart is for people who might not know. Well, it's just um, music notation is generally uh, notes and rhythms. And so what happens with a slash chart is is a rhythm player just gets some type of a harmonic instruction, and then it has four slashes to the bar, and that just tells the the person that you know they can play whatever notes or rhythms they want as long as it fits within this harmonic framework that you've dictated so it's not giving melodic or rhythmic instruction at all and so what i try and do now with my rhythm charts is is in the spots where i do want specific sounds to give specific direction and see where it goes but but these guys you know they can pretty much read anything and and that's the other thing that i was thinking about when you were talking about having you know and being able to depend on guys even if they don't play exactly what i write i trust them so much and i know what i'm going to get every single time so i'm not afraid to bring a brand new tune in and throw it down on the bandstand and play it live in front of people because I know that everybody's signed up to make music and, and everybody's brain is in gear and everybody's listening and, and, and trying to have a conversation and not trying to step on anybody else and let the music sing. If my uh, if my math is right here, eight 
of the nine tracks in this record are original compositions, either by you or other members of the band. And so, of course, I want to start with the one that isn't. Um, I, I actually uh, I remember the first time I put this record on, I just kind of laughed out loud when it got to April in Paris because um, I really love the whole like Wild Bill Davis sound from back in the day mm-hmm. on the organ. And this whole thing kind of s- just screamed that to me. And it's an obvious... Leap as well because he did the arrangement of April in Paris that Basie used. Right. But uh, I wonder was that was that uh, consciously in the minds of you guys in the band at the time you were recording? You know, I'll tell you, it's it's really it's pretty funny uh, for me to hear wh- what you got from that because my experience with April in Paris is is playing that famous arrangement in uh, numerous big band gigs in the section and and there's a band that I work with a lot here in New York. Uh, uh, band leader by the name of George G. You know, we play that chart, and there's a certain spirit to that playing that I that uh, I feel like I've really incorporated in my time in New York. Um, but that project or, or that arrangement was actually part of another project that I did, which was a Charlie Parker tribute. And one of the reasons that I started using alto saxophone again with the organ band because I had all these these pieces that I had written for this Charlie Parker tribute, and that was one of them. And and that whole project, uh, actually, uh, French Press and The Cobbler were also part of that project, too, because what I tried to do was take uh, the spirit of what Bird and Diz did back in the day, where they would take standards and write new heads over them. So The Cobbler is actually uh, a variation on the changes to Thou Swell which I heard a recording of Bird playing Now Swell when I was a kid on this big band record, actually, where he played a plastic saxophone. I think it's called A Night in Washington. There's a beautiful uh, interview with Red Rodney on the end of the record where he says, you know, Bird could have played a tomato can and made it sound great. <laughs> I, I never I never forgot that. But uh, So the cobbler is Thou Swell, and, uh, uh, and then French Press is actually out of nowhere. So I was just taking standards that I knew Bird actually played the standard, and so then I wrote a new head over the standard and treated it differently. But but so those three tunes all came from that project. So that's so funny that you were getting the uh, the organ vibe. That's great. Will you talk about uh, the role melody plays in your approach to composition? Where does it where does it kind of fit on the scale of of importance when you sit down to write? Well, it's the most important. It's gotten even more important even. Since we recorded that record, I've had I've had some conversations with those who have mentored me, and and it's drawn my attention to melody in a different kind of way. But uh, I felt like when I got to the point composing that that it was uh, that I could start and write a melody and follow my imagination with a melody line and not worry about chords or rhythm or that was so liberating and. It's actually, I think, better for everybody because it's it's a lot easier to follow your imagination when you're following that one thread, and then you can frame it later, uh, rhythmically and harmonically. Um, but but just to be able to follow that little thread, and then you know, and you're giving the listener something to follow too. To, to some degree, that was a, a loaded question because uh, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about your records was how how strongly you seem attached to melody. I remember, uh, and I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but on the album Maya, there was a tune that I think was called Big John. No, um, you, you got it right, man. There I had you a go. Feeling you were going there. That's that, so funny. I mean, I, I played... 
since we're not FCC, I, I played the hell out of that song on uh-huh. uh, on my drive time show back in the day. And one of the reasons is because, like a lot of your writing, it's a tune that feels like oh, I've been hearing this tune all my life, even if it's a tune you know that's been alive for a year or something. And so it strikes me that 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 kind of uh, singability or or connection with the listener is something that it sounds to me like you're going for in your writing. Well, man, I mean, uh, that's an incredibly huge compliment, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts because, you know, frequently we do live in a vacuum except for moments like this. So that's it's really nice to hear that, that you get that. And it's absolutely something that I think about, and I want to get better at thinking about it to the point that, you know, I've been listening to uh, Glenn Gould 1955 Goldberg variations back-to-back with Glenn Gould 1981 Goldberg variations and trying to hear all the threads of box language go through the music, and, and uh, you know, that's melody. I just, I just want to be able to pay attention that much. I've seen you uh, mention many times recently uh, on the various digital media that I monitor your every movement on, uh, the pianist John Hicks. Uh, can you talk yeah. about, about John and, and why he's important to you? You know, I, I, actually, my introduction to John Hicks was, was a record, uh, was a John Hicks duo record with, with John Hicks and Kenny Barron, and I said, man, I've been sleeping on this guy. And uh, I had the opportunity to hear him a number of times since, since I, when I moved to New York, I mean, he, he left us recently, and, you know, everybody was unhappy about that. And I was talking with, actually, I ran into Roy Hargrove at Smalls, and I was chatting with him, and he mentioned this John Hicks tune called After the Morning and asked me if I'd ever heard of it. And I said, no, I've, I've never heard of it. So then I came home the next day, and it was on that record. And so then I started downloading other versions of it to see if I could listen to it a little bit more and and get it. And so right now I'm working on an arrangement of it, hopefully to be done uh, and approved by Roy's ears uh, for the big band. But um, So, yeah, I've just been listening to a lot of John Hicks. Jared Gold really covers uh, an incredibly diverse amount of stylistic ground on the organ on this record. Can you talk about how uh, how you met Jared and first started playing with him? Yeah, that's funny how I met Jared. Actually, I used to have a steady gig uh, in my neighborhood up here in Washington Heights, and it was at a little uh, a little joint on the corner of 181st and Pinehurst called Jesse's Place. And for a while there, I even had two nights a week, and you know, it had like two different quartets come. It ended up being a real headache because the gig was light and bread, and and you know, to get guys to commit to come up to Washington Heights if they didn't already live up here. So the guys that drove and parking's a drag. It was just you know, it was one of those kind of gigs. But man, and and Julius and I were talking about this the other day. You know, if you play organ, you're a warrior. And Jared would come and do that gig, and that was that was how I actually met him. And then I hadn't played with him in years when we started doing the, the the gigs with this band. Jared's crazy. I mean, he he just follows whatever his imagination says. You know, he doesn't. He he's got a combination of no filter in terms of what he wants to express, and also the ability to articulate whatever that is at any given time. I mean, I love playing with Jared, man. He's he's crazy. He's beautiful, and he, you know, 
you you would never know it talking to him. He's so chilled out. But uh, if you listen to him long enough, you realize, you know, what's happening. I mean, I can't tell you how many glances are exchanged between Julius and I on the bandstand waiting for him to do something crazy. Oh, there it was. There's number one. Where's number two coming? I know, uh, I know you've had uh, many chances over the years to be in some pretty high-profile groups, and um, I've heard you talk I- in the past about Slide Hampton uh, and the impact of your association with him. Uh, could you talk about it a little bit here? Yeah, well, I mean, he kind of took me under his wing when I came to town, but even before I came to town, I had already kind of made up my mind that, I mean, there were three guys for me on the trombone. It was... Uh, slide and jj and curtis fuller and so you know i never met jj but um you know i've been really fortunate to spend a lot of time with slide and curtis and um slide's going through some stuff right now and uh, we're all just feeling for him and i really love him a lot and i and you know he's been really great to me so i don't have much more than that that's uh that's a hard one to talk about right now we were uh, we were talking a little bit uh, off the air about uh, about your daughter Maya, um, who's a teenager now and uh, has yeah. been able to come to uh, a lot of your shows recently. And I wonder what you know what's that like uh, playing these gigs with her in the audience at an age where she can actually you know appreciate what's happening on the bandstand. It, you know, it's it's magic to have her out there. You know, and and um, actually it, she has some. She has some really interesting observations about the environments and about the about the music and the gig and, and the people that I'm playing with, and you know, it's it's good to hear what she has to say too. You've uh, over the years had a, a lot of original compositions, both by yourself um, and others, on your records, and a little something is no different. Why uh, why do you focus uh, so much on on new writing on these albums? I mean, I remember when Maya came out. I read a review of Maya that that I didn't really understand at the time. Looking back, I understand. But, but saying something about how, uh, you know, I, I, thankfully I didn't play that many standards on the record, but the two I did play were just, you know, I just played them like they'd always been played. I mean, why not bring something new to it? And, you know, I just, after that record especially, I decided that's just not my thing. You know, I'd rather, I can play my own music better than I can play somebody else's music. Not that... I don't enjoy playing other people's music. And for that reason, I really enjoy being sideman on gigs because then I get to play other people's music. And it's in a lot of ways, it's it's a lot easier. In fact, you know, Jared and I have a steady at at Fat Cat that we do with the same band, but, but Jared and I both write so much music that we have two completely different books. So what we do is one 
one month it's it's all my music the next month it's all jared's music and i have such a great time when we do it with jared's music it's like i don't have to worry about anything i i don't know why that is but but um i just really like playing his music and trying to figure out you know what he was thinking about and the phrases and and melodies that fit alternatively over over what he's done and there's just more of a sense of discovery because i haven't heard all these recordings of the tunes I don't, I don't know. You know, sometimes history can can be a little intimidating. I mean, not to everybody, but, you know, that's that's my thing. I just like playing original music. It sounds great to have uh, a steady, in fact, maybe more than one steady opportunity uh, to be playing original stuff and just to be working things out as a band mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, that I have to believe that that's getting rarer and rarer in New York these days. You know, the only other time, I, well, I've achieved it a, a, a few times in, in my life, but, but most recently, the only other time I did that was with this funk band that I used to work with a lot. We're called the Hot Pants Funk Sex Tet Plus One, I think was the official title of the band. <laughs> I think we changed it to the Hot Pants Funk Organization, and then it changed to something else. I don't know. Anyway, we had a steady at, at uh, the Club Smoke up on uh, 106 and Broadway. We had a steady up there on Wednesday nights. And we did that for more than five years, maybe six years. And talk about getting tight and just having a lot of intuition. And, you know, we used to have endings to tunes numbered like one, two, three. And so, like, if we were playing a new tune, somebody would just hold up the number one and we knew which ending that was going to be to the tune. Uh, and, and they were involved and crazy, too. So I don't know. Um, and this is the first thing that I've done since then where we've gotten to play together this much. And it's really the same kind of vibe because, you know, like I wrote some arrangements of tunes and they've completely morphed into something different. Or we have like three or four different ways that we do the same tune. And it really, Jared's the mad scientist. He leads it away on that because he's doing so much business back there with the uh, with the pedals and, and the right hand, the left hand, and everything else. So he's kind of setting the table for everything. You know, but everybody falls in line. I mean, we've been playing together long enough, we know what to do. So this new record, A Little Something, r- rather than being uh, you know a session where the players got together for one day of rehearsals and recorded the next day, is really... Uh, it brings a lot of collective weight and experience to it, which is which is. Great. It kind of felt a little bit silly doing a rehearsal, <laughs> you know. I mean, we did a rehearsal for the day, but it just seemed silly. Um, you know, actually, we're doing a rehearsal tomorrow morning because uh, Quincy can't make the date that we're doing this weekend. So we're we're uh, we're using Willard Dyson on drums, and so and 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 I wrote a bunch of new music. So we're getting together tomorrow afternoon to rehearse. But I can't remember the last time we really got together to rehearse. Like that's every two or three months. Usually everybody just brings new music. We're always playing a gig somewhere, and we just learn it on the gig. You know, maybe play it twice on the gig, or maybe you know it it just gels the first time, and it's cool. My guest is uh, trombonist David Gibson. The new album on Positone Records is called A Little Something. And uh, as always, man, it's it's always a real pleasure to talk to you and uh, to reflect with you about the music. I thank you for taking the time to do it. Jason, man, you're the king, bro. And I have to say, it's just so nice to see what's happening for you. You know, I talk to all sorts of people. I talk I talk to the Flins all the time, and they always talk about you, man. It's uh, You have a reputation, and, and the folks you left behind up in Rochester, they love you. So, you know, props to you, man. Congratulations.
That's trombonist David Gibson from his album A Little Something on Positone Records. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's a group for The Jazz Session, and I give away music there, too. The theme music for the show is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed The Jazz Session's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivative Works, 3.0 United States license. You can find out more about that at the website. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.